Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "Spirit-Filled Worship" from our series, "A Spirit-Filled Summer." Today, if you have your Bible, I'm in Acts chapter 16, and I want you to turn with me. And we're going to talk today about how we activate the gift through spirit-filled worship. Amen. Amen. Church, what we've been in this morning is in a season of spirit-filled worship. Amen. Aren't you thankful today? Amen. Acts 16, beginning in verse 20, while you're flipping, I'll give you the backstory. Amen. The Bible tells us that Paul and his ministry partner Silas had come and they were beginning to preach in the city um, of Thyatira. And while they're there, uh, they have an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord on the banks of the river. They baptize her. They begin meeting in her house. And one day, while they were preaching in the city and sharing the gospel, they happened upon a girl who was a fortune teller. She was operating under the spirit of divination. Now, some of you, like I have, have been to New Orleans before in the Cathedral Square, and you see the people with their tables set up. And for a profit, for some money, they will read your palm or tell you your future or try to predict what's going to happen to you. And sometimes they actually hit on something. You say, how is it possible that they ever actually strike fire and hit something? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit's not the only spirit in this world. There are other spirits that can operate, and they operate under a spirit of divination. And that's what this little girl had. And it's interesting to me, those people set up in front of the church. Why? Because they are trying to legitimize themselves. They're trying to make people think because they're in front of the church that they work for God. Well, the little girl in the story did the same thing. Paul and Silas are full of the Holy Spirit, and she knows that and recognizes the Spirit of God in them. And so she knows she can't beat them, so she tries to join them. And she follows along behind them and says, these men are sent from God to show us the way of salvation. Well, Paul worked for Jesus, and he didn't want the devil running his advertising service. Amen? So he turned around and looked at the girl and to the spirit and told it to be silent and come out of her and the problem was when the spirit left her so did the ability to predict the future (laughs) and she was a slave girl and she brought her owners much profit by predicting the future and telling people's fortune and the owners were not happy with that so they brought charges against Paul and Silas because they had damaged their property and robbed them of their business opportunity and we pick up the story in verse 20 if you found it say amen and they brought them to the magistrates and said these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city well no they trouble their bank account right that's what was happening Verse 21, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to observe or receive. What customs? Well, the Romans worshipped many gods, and Paul and Silas taught, no, there's just one God, and he became human in the person of Jesus, died and rose again, and all these idols are fake, and the only God you should be worshipping is the God of Israel manifested through his son Jesus. Amen? Verse 22, then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having secure, received such a charge, the jailer put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, say that with me, but at midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice and said, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and his people said. 
Amen. Amen. I want to tell you today, I want to talk to you about spirit-filled worship and how spirit-filled worship activates the presence of God. If you want to know how to stir up your chocolate milk this morning, the spoon is worship. Amen. Say that with me. The spoon is worship. The way we activate the gift God placed in us is by worship and prayer. And I want us to talk about that for a moment today. I want you to notice, number one, it is Godward, not manward. Our worship is focused toward God. It's not focused toward people. Now, some people have noted and they said, Pastor, we noticed that you sit on the front row. You don't sit on the platform. Well, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with either way. Amen? A seat's a seat. Amen? There's benefits to sitting on the platform. You don't have to climb stairs to get to the pulpit. Amen? You know, I may reach an age one day where I start sitting on the platform. If I do, just know that's my knees, all right? Amen. I mean, that's just how that works. But I sit on the front row because I like to be part of the congregation in that moment. Amen. And I'm worshiping. I had someone say, Pastor, you need to sit up there where you can watch us worship. I love you, but I ain't got to you worship. I came to worship myself. Amen. Amen. I'm not here to stir your chocolate milk. I'm here to stir my chocolate milk. Amen. Every man's got his own spoon. You stir your own cup. Amen. Glory to God. That's the way that works. Our worship is focused on the Lord. It's not focused on one another. I'm not here to watch you. And let me tell you something. You're not here to watch either. Amen. A lot of times we get, if you're up here, they're focused out there. Choir, ignore them. You hear me, choir? Ignore them. It don't matter. If they worship, glory to God. If they don't worship, worship anyway. Amen. Congregation, let me tell you something. They are not here to entertain us. They're here to lead us. Amen. Amen. Don't watch them. Follow them. Amen. Amen. We often get things confused. I'm very careful often about my words. I call this a platform. It's not a stage. Amen. It's a platform. The reason is this. Uh, This is not just a... It's a pulpit, it's a sacred desk, it's a place for preaching God's word, amen? Listen, there is only one audience today, and that audience is not those sitting out in this room. When you change the word, then the word changes you. Churches have platforms, not stages. Oh, churches don't have stages, they have platforms. You see, because if this is a stage, that makes the choir the performers, and it makes you the audience. And I can promise you that is not the way it works in a spirit-filled church. No, you and I are the performers, and the worship team are the ones prompting and directing the worship. And God, who sits high and looks low, is the audience who shows up to see if we will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Our worship is Godward. It's not manward. The focus is not what's happening at this level, but what's going up to God. Is God pleased? Well, I didn't like that song. Well, we weren't singing it for you. <laughs> Woo! Amen. We weren't singing it for you or to you. We were singing it to the Lord. Amen. Well, I don't like it. Well, Mikael said the same thing to David one day. I don't like the way you danced before the Lord in front of all the servant girls of Israel and took off your kingly robe and danced in your ephod. And he said to her, it was before the Lord that I danced, the Lord who made me instead of your daddy, the king of Israel. Woo. The Bible says she bore no children to the day she died. No doubt. <laughs> Wow, I bet they never even had dinner together again, don't you hear? That was stout, strong words. But what did he say? He said, I will not allow you to hinder me in my worship. In fact, he said, she said, didn't the king of Israel make a fool of himself today? And he said, I will become even more undignified than this. I will become abased in my own eyes. Modern translation, baby, if you thought I worshiped last service, you ain't seen nothing yet, amen? Amen. That's what David was saying. His heart was toward the Lord. He said, for the Lord that I danced. I wasn't trying to please you. I wasn't trying to get a response out of the people around me. I was responding to the Lord. I was giving him praise. The Bible says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying. Number one, say praying. 
praying. The Bible says spirit-filled worship involves prayer. You know, it amazes me. I grew up going to prayer meetings where we didn't pray. They called Wednesday night prayer meeting, but nobody really prayed. They would take prayer requests, and the pastor would pray at the beginning of service, and then they would teach Bible study. That isn't prayer meeting, that's Bible study. There's nothing wrong with Bible study, just don't mislabel it prayer meeting, amen? That's not prayer meeting. Glory to God. I, don't, I hate it when we mislabel things. My friend went with me to Shoney's Buffet Bar one night. Anybody remember Shoney's? You can't get to heaven without passing through Shoney's if you're Church of God. Amen? I mean, that was the camp meeting place, Shoney's. There was this big old bucket on the buffet bar, and my friend Tommy looked over that, and he filled his plate up with it. It was yellow and creamy, and I said, what in the world are you doing putting that on your plate? He said, it's banana pudding. I said, Tommy, that's not banana pudding. That is whipped butter. He said, no, it's not. They wouldn't put a tub that big of butter on the buffet bar. I said, number one, you must not have been in the South very long. Yes, they would. And number two, that's butter. And he pointed and said, well, the label up there says pudding. I said, the label got moved. The chocolate stuff next to it, that's pudding. You've got butter. He said, no, I do not. And we sat down at the table, and I said, Tommy, that's not pudding. That's butter. He said, it is pudding. And he reached down, and he got him a big old heaping scoop on his fork, and he put it in his mouth, and his eyes crossed. <laughs> it was mislabeled. It was not pudding, I promise you. Only Paula Dean could eat that much butter. Amen. Glory to God, man. Listen, there's nothing wrong with Bible study. There's nothing wrong with prayer meeting. But if you're going to call it prayer meeting, make it prayer meeting. Amen. It wasn't until I came into a spirit-filled church that I found out what prayer meeting was. They called it on a Monday night, and I showed up, and I brought my Bible, and nobody else had their Bible. They said, you're not going to need your Bible. We're not here to study. We're here to pray. And they took prayer requests for five minutes, and for the next hour, they scattered around that room, and some people were walking and praying, and some people were kneeling and praying, and some people were praying in English, and some people were praying in tongues, and some people were singing, and some people were shouting, and some people had a prayer list and they were praying. Other people had a little box of names. It was lost people that didn't know God and we were believing God to save the people whose names were in that box and somebody was going through those names. That was prayer meeting. I remember one night that box, we got tired of people not getting saved. We opened that little cedar box. Remember those little cedar boxes with praying hands on them? We had one of those. We had the names of lost friends in it. We opened that box and my pastor said, I'm tired of these people being lost and going to hell. He took a bottle of oil, cracked the top and poured half a bottle of Pompeian olive oil off in there. We shut that lid and said, Holy Ghost, we need you to move. One of my friends said, God, I want a divine appointment with at least three of these people next week so I can share Jesus with them. The next Sunday, we prayed. We said, Lord, we pray that they can't eat or sleep, that their food won't taste right. We pray they have no peace until they come to know God. The next Sunday morning I walked in, there were three people that I hadn't seen in a long time. All three of them were in the altar. They got up and testified and they said, my God, I hadn't been able to sleep since Wednesday night. I hadn't been in my food, doesn't taste right. I haven't had any peace. And I ran into Kathy Wooten in the aisle at the Sunflower store and she invited me back to church. Friend, that's prayer meeting. Say prayer meeting. The early church was marked by prayer. The Bible says they devoted themselves to prayer, Acts 2.42. The Bible says when they got in trouble in Acts 4, they met and they prayed and God shook the place. Amen. The Bible says Paul and Silas were praying. Say praying. Ephesians 6 and 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Leonard Ravenhill once said, No man is more spiritual no man is more spiritual than his prayer life. I am as spiritual as I am prayerful. Amen. That's it. That's the line. When Saul was converted and became Paul on the road to Damascus, the first way the Lord reassured Ananias it was okay to pay him a visit that he really had been saved was, he said, you will find him in the house of Simon the Tanner on Straight Street, and behold, he is praying. The mark of a saved man is he's a praying man. Amen? My son Wesley, he's nine, and he believes the Lord's got a call on his life, and I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. He's my most curious child about spiritual things. Sean's interested in how much a Tacoma pickup truck costs right now. It's three years off, but he's just keeping his eye on it, you know? 
Wesley is interested in the church and everything to do with it. And so he likes to lay down at night and ask me questions until he gets sleepy and dozes off. The other night we laid down and he said, Daddy, what's the difference between a Catholic service, a Baptist service, and a Pentecostal service? And I said, son, that's going to take more than five minutes and I'm tired. Let me give you this little thumbnail of the way I understand things. I said, in a Catholic service, the climax is when they come to the Lord's table and receive the Eucharist. Holy Communion is the climax in a Catholic church. It's the highest moment of worship for them when they come and receive the bread. I said, in a Baptist church, the climax of the service is the sermon. It's the highest point. It's what everything leads to. And after the sermon, you're kind of downhill from there. I said, in a Pentecostal service, in a Spirit-filled service, I said, everything, the worship, the sermon, it all leads up to one moment. And that moment is the altar call, where we come down and we have an encounter with the presence of God. I said, that is a Spirit-filled church. Where the focus is not just, do we come to the Lord's table? Yes, we do. Do we hear sermons? Yes, we do. But the highest moment for us is not what we say to God. And it's not what the preacher says about God. But it's when God himself shows up and touches and ministers and blesses. A spirit-filled church is a Christ-centered church where the presence of God is at the center of everything. Amen? Amen. The Bible says they were a praying church. Say praying. praying. Number two, they were singing. Say singing. It says they were praying and singing hymns to God. I love that. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19 gives you the evidence that you are. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? He said you'll be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spirit-filled people are singing people. Do you hear me? Spirit-filled people have a song in their heart. They have a song in their heart. Years ago, the church of God was called the singing church. Amen? We were the singing church. Still, whenever you think about what Pentecostal churches, what do you think about? You think about their music. You think about their worship. You think about the way they go after God in praise and in singing. We are a singing people, and we don't apologize for that. The Bible tells us we ought to sing. Amen. Over and over, the psalmist says, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Amen. The Bible says we ought to be singing three kinds of songs. Number one, psalms. Number two, hymns. And number three, spiritual songs. So what does that mean? Well, let's unpack it. First of all, we ought to be singing psalms. Say psalms. P-S-M-S. There's a whole book of those in your Bible. Amen. When the early church sang psalms, they were literally opening the book of psalms, opening the book of psalms, and singing from those 150. The people of Israel did that, and the early church continued to do that. And I want to tell you, if you are having trouble in worship, get over in the book of Psalms and start reading out loud. And it'll stir your chocolate milk. Amen? It will light your fire. Just reading the words of the psalmist. Read his words of worship. Let them be your words of worship. Amen? Whenever I'm having trouble in prayer, I open the book of Psalms and I make those words words and I say give thanks to the Lord for he is good his mercy endures forever give thanks to the king of kings his mercy endures forever give thanks to the Lord of lords his mercy endures forever this poor man cried to the Lord and the Lord delivered him out of all his trouble great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable one generation will tell your works to the other and declare your mighty acts and I'll speak of the glorious majesty of your kingdom your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And I want to tell you, you won't get five verses deep before an old fire will light your fire and your heart will engage in worship. Amen. Psalms, we sing those. Psalms were old songs. Say old songs. The songs that the people of God had always sung. We ought to sing old songs. Amen. But we also ought to sing new songs. Say new songs. The Bible says they sung hymns. Now you say, wait a minute, hymns are old songs. Well, they're old to you, but they were new to the church. Hymns were songs they wrote about Jesus. Hymns are like the one you find in Philippians chapter 2. 
who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and humbled himself and being found in fashion as a man made himself obedient to death even the death of the cross for this reason God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess things in earth things in heaven things beneath the earth to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord that's a hymn it was written as a song the early church used to sing now you and I ought to be singing new songs about Jesus say new songs I thank God for the old songs we ought to be singing the standards and the staples of our faith I want my kids to know how great thou art and amazing grace and great is thy faithfulness amen we ought to be singing the old songs and we do sing the old songs we sing a mixture of songs amen well I don't think we sing enough well we can talk about that but I want to tell you we ought to be singing a blend of worship. We have a blended worship service, not just because that's what your pastor wants, but because that's what your pastor thinks is biblical. Oh, you weren't doing it to please us. I'm doing it to please the Lord. <laughs> the Bible says we ought to be singing old songs. That's psalms. Songs the church has always sung. The Bible says we ought to be singing new songs, hymns that were written by the current generation that tell the glory of God and exalt Jesus. So we sing some new songs also, amen? Say new songs. Oh, it's okay. You can look at me like a calf at a new gate. It's all right. I got Bible or I wouldn't preach it. Sing to the Lord a new song. New song. Does God like old songs? Yes, he does. But he likes new songs too. Amen. He likes them both. So you ought to like them both. Amen. And you know what I learned a long time ago? The service isn't about me, it's about the Lord. And if it honors and exalts him, I can get behind it and I can back it. Amen? Amen. That's how it works. We ought to be singing psalms and we ought to be singing hymns. Why? Every generation is challenged and called by God to add its own song to the hymnal. Every generation's worship sounds a little bit different. Every generation's music sounds a little bit different. And it is always met with some suspicion and resistance by the people who came before. I get that. But you know what? It isn't just how it is in the church. That's how it is in the world. Let's not make something spiritual about musical taste because the world is just as bad as the church is. You don't believe it? Yeah, they are. I have friends who are lost as a goose in a hailstorm, and you talk about country music, and they'll say, oh, they don't make country music like they used to make it. This new stuff they sing, that ain't country music. George Jones was country music. I don't know who this rascal flats girl is. You hear me? So there's nothing spiritual about that argument. It's the same argument the world makes about music they like and don't like. Oh, don't hold your tithe check. Every generation is called to contribute its own song to the repertoire. Do I equally like it all? No. I don't equally like everything on the buffet bar at the seafood place, but I keep going back. Amen. Amen. I can leave the fried oysters and eat the fried shrimp and be happy. Amen. Everything on the buffet is not for you, but there ought to be enough on the buffet that your heart gets fed. Amen. Amen. That's what blended worship is. Somebody said blended worship is a church where everybody's equally unhappy. Amen. <laughs> Amen. That's it. We're all equally unhappy. That's okay. Because we're not consumers, we're family. And we don't come because we like everything that happens or we even agree with every choice that's made, but because this is our family, this is our tribe, these are my people, and they pray with me and they worship with me and they stand with me and they walk with me through dark valleys and when I'm in trouble, they back me whenever I'm going through trials and these are my people and I'm going to be faithful to the people of God because they're a gift from God. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. The third thing we ought to be singing, he said, is spiritual songs. Say spiritual songs. Songs that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is extemporaneous worship. This is worship that just flows out of your heart in the moment. It is prompted by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that we believe in as Spirit-filled people. This is the worship that makes non-Pentecostal, non-charismatic people a little nervous. This is the things that happen in our service that make people look at us off the rim of their glasses. Amen? 
spiritual songs. You know, whenever we get in a service and the Spirit of God begins to move and our worship goes from being what's on the screen to something that is spontaneous. Amen. Singing in the Spirit. It's whenever we begin to offer up our own words of praise to God. Not only does every generation have its own song, every individual has his or her own expression of worship. Amen. I don't shout like you shout. I don't praise like you praise. I don't say the same things you do to God when he touches my heart. But you know what? When God brings us together, he wants to hear every voice in the choir. He wants every instrument in the orchestra to give forth its sound. And whatever your praise is, I can't praise God for you. And the choir can't praise God for you. You've got to praise God for you. Amen. In the black church, they used to have a song that says, I can't tell it like you can what he's done for me. And you can't tell it like I can what he's done for me. There's truth in that song. Nobody can give your praise but you. You say, well, does God really want me to praise him? If everybody else is praising him, what difference does it make? The Bible says when the leper came back and praised God, Jesus said, where are the other nine? He was expecting everybody that received his grace to show up in worship and give their worship and their gratitude to him. Does God expect me to? You better believe God expects you to. Jesus is looking for you to come back and shout and sing and give glory to his name. Amen? Spontaneous songs offered extemporaneously, often in tongues. That's what spiritual songs were in the Bible times. And so we do that. I often know that some of us feel uncomfortable whenever Pastor Chad exhorts us to speak our own praise to God. It gets real quiet in the room. Some of us don't know how to do that. How do you do that? Listen, you open your mouth and you say what is on your heart to say to God. And it's not going to be what your neighbor says. Why? Because you know what? I haven't been through what you've been through this week. You know what God's done for you this week. You know what prayer God answered for you this week. You know how God provided for you this week. Tell him about that. Oh God, I thank you for the way you brought me out. Lord, thank you for that came in the mail just before they cut off my lights. Lord, thank you for the job that opened up for me when I had lost a job. Lord, thank you for the fact that my child that hadn't been in church in years was on the pew next to me last Sunday morning. Lord, thank you for the way you've blessed and undertaken in my life. Praise him. Speak your own praise to God. Lord, I love you. I worship you. I glorify your name. You share your praise to God. Amen. I want to tell you my favorite thing whenever my wife gives me a card, I don't read what Hallmark wrote. Amen? I didn't marry Hallmark. I didn't marry Helen Steiner Rice. I'm sure she's a great poet, but I don't want to know what she says about my marriage. I want to know what Shay Blaylock has to say about my marriage. I ignore all that printed stuff. I want to read her handwriting. I want to hear her say, I love you. You mean the world to me. I can't imagine my life without you. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear her say it because I'm in relationship with her. God wants to hear from you. God wants you to offer your praise. Why? Because he saved you and he deserves to hear it. And because if you will do that, you will stir up your own gift. You will encourage your own heart by doing that. Amen. We sing to the Lord. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's praying, it's singing, and it's focused on God. Say, to God. The Bible says they were singing to God. God's the audience, not, we, not the congregation. I want you to notice this. It's based on faith, not circumstances. Say that with me. It's based on faith, not circumstances. If Paul and Silas had allowed what was going on in their life to dictate how they worshipped God... They wouldn't have worshipped God at all. On the outside, everything was going wrong. In Think about it today. Number one, it was the wrong situation. Verse 22 says they were beaten, they were bloody, and they were bound. It's the wrong situation. That's not the kind of thing you want going on in your life in order to be able to inspire you to praise God. Amen. The wrong situation, beaten, bloody, and bound. I want to tell you, some of us, our problem is we let our feelings, our emotions, and our circumstances determine the temperature of our worship. You hear me? If things are going well, then we worship like things are going well. But if things are not going well, then the temperature of our worship cools off. Amen? 
We need some people who, like Paul and Silas, can pray and sing hymns at midnight when their back is bleeding, when their feet are locked in stocks, who can still worship God because God hasn't changed even though their circumstances have changed. They're focused on Him. They're praising God by faith. They were in the wrong situation. Number two, they were in the wrong setting. They're in prison. Some people can only praise God in just the right setting. Got to be just right. Oh, it's got to be just right kind of building, and the air conditioner's got to be the right temperature, and the lights have to be just right. I can't praise him if the lights are too low, and your kids can't praise him if the lights are too bright. And if you'd get saved, we could all just praise him. Amen. Amen. If he'd save us, we'd just praise him. I want to tell you the setting doesn't determine my worship. What God's done for me determines my worship. Paul and Silas could praise him in prison with their feet locked in stocks, with their hands in chains, with their back beaten and bloody. Amen. You're a spirit-filled worshiper when the circumstances don't change your worship and the setting doesn't change your worship. Amen. <laughs> Pastor, it's too cold in here for me to praise. Well, shout like I do and you'll warm up. Amen. I'm about to sweat this coat up. Amen. Lord, help us. It's the wrong season. For some people, they say, Pastor, you know, when things turn around for me and I get in a better place in life, I'm going to praise him. But right now, things are just tough for me, and that's why I don't really worship God. The Bible says that Paul and Silas praised him at midnight. Say midnight. It was black dark. There was nothing good. They were the furthest point away from the dawn that they could possibly be. And here they are, and at midnight, when everything is dark, when nothing looks right, they choose by faith to worship God. Worship has to be based on faith, not circumstances. On the outside, everything was wrong. But on the inside, all was well. All was well. What do you mean? Well, number one, the spirit in them was greater than the spirit of that slave girl that they cast out. They knew that they had the spirit of God, and he was greater than their enemy. Their Lord's kingdom that they served was greater than the Roman Empire who was persecuting them. They knew that Caesar might lock them up, but Jesus had set them free. And they knew that one day Caesar's kingdom would but the kingdom of Christ would have no end. And they would always be in that eternal kingdom. Amen? Amen. Pastor, aren't you worried about the government? No, I'm not worried about the government because I know that one day every king will lay his crown down at the feet of Jesus. And my Savior, the one that I worship and serve, is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's the way the story ends. Amen? I live in the kingdom and I worship the king. And so I don't have to be nervous when the kingdoms of this world quake and shake like they do. The Lord said that they would. Why are we surprised? Their joy was greater than their physical pain. I love that. Their spiritual joy was greater than their physical pain. So here they are. It's based on faith, not circumstances. Number three, it leads to heaven overruling earth. Say that with me. It leads to heaven overruling earth. Here we are. The Bible says that their worship exalted God. He was present the whole time. He didn't move until they began to sing and pray, but he'd always been there. God was present when they cast out that spirit. God was present when the mob attacked them. God was present when they were on trial. God was present when they were being beaten. God was present when they were locked in jail and their feet were placed in the stocks. Don't ever interpret God's silence as God's absence. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. The teacher is always quiet during the test. Hear me? But doesn't mean God's not present. Well, how did God's presence manifest? God's presence manifested when they did something. Say they did something. They sang hymns to God at midnight. They prayed to the Lord. They encouraged one another in the Lord. And God responded to their worship. They stirred up the gift of God that was in them. Their faith, their worship, their prayer activated the presence of God in their situation. Some people object to spirit-filled worship. Spirit-filled worship often leads to manifestations. The Bible says when they worship that God shook the place with an earthquake and the prison doors flew open. Amen. <laughs> Can you imagine being in that place? That would unnerve me. I don't know about you. Acts chapter 4, they pray and the building was shaken. Some of you get scared if your neighbor starts shaking. <laughs> Oh, we had a Pentecostal church. Somebody's hands were shaking. You wait till the whole place starts shaking. My friend, that's what happened in Acts chapter 4. Mm. 
I'd love for Randy Williams to go down to the prison ministry one night and come back and say the whole metro jail shook. Amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Glory to God. When the presence of God comes, there are often manifestations of his presence. Say manifestations. People get nervous about that. Some people don't like that. Well, listen, I know some of it can be emotional. We're emotional people. We respond to God out of who we are. But can I tell you, there are times when God shows up and things begin to happen that are not completely under our power or control. Amen. There are times that people fall under the power because they're just overwhelmed by the presence of God. There are times the present spirit of God comes on people and they don't feel, their hand will go numb. And they say, I can't feel my hands. I can't feel. Uh, something's happening to me. I'm tingling all over. What is that? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God's moving on you and you're feeling that and sensing that. One of the things people always remark about spirit-filled worship is you can sense God's presence in the room. Well, I want to tell you, if you'd come out of the shallow end into the deep end, you'd do more than sense God's presence. Amen. You would have an encounter with his presence. His presence would manifest on you and fill you and begin to flow through your life. And gifts and manifestations would begin to operate in your life. Amen. Come on in. The water's great. Amen. Come on out deeper into the things of God. People are afraid of those manifestations. I understand that may be something odd for you. But why should it surprise us if the God of the Bible walks into a room, don't you think it would change something? If God really shows up when we worship, don't you think you would know it and sense it and something would happen in response to that? Absolutely, I do. Spirit-filled worship is different. It's different on purpose. Some people object to spirit-filled worship because it's new. I understand that. It may be out of the box for them. But let me tell you, the reason a lot of people don't like it, here's why. They want a God they can put in a box. They want a God they can take out on Sunday morning between 10.30 and noon and they can put him back in the box and he leaves them alone for the rest of the week and he doesn't make any demands on their life. They want a God they can rub the bottle like a genie and he'll grant them their prayer request but they don't want a God who will address their sin or make them live right or cause them to change the way they talk and the way they act and the way they treat other people. But I want to tell you, God won't play that game. When we worship and ask God to show up, you need to know that if he shows up, up, he's going to take over and if he shows up in your life he's going to take over your life and if he shows up in your family he's going to reorder things in your family and if he shows up in a church his presence is going to be felt known and manifested in the life of that church amen some people don't like that they don't want that they want God to leave them alone they want a God they can control they don't want a true and living God amen you get in the right spirit-filled service and you feel like you've got tiger by the tail, amen? If you let go of it, it's going to eat you. And if you don't let go of it, it's going to eat you, amen? <laughs> amen. I wish some of you'd get a hold of him today. I wish he'd get a hold of some of us today. Yes, Lord. What do you mean, Pastor? Listen, when the spirit-filled worship occurs, God moves in undeniable ways. The lukewarm, the backslider, the sinner, they begin to feel uncomfortable. But when you keep the fire hot, the rats stay away. When you turn on the light, the roaches run off. And I'll tell you, when the Spirit of God begins to move and operate in a service, people get uncomfortable. And the people that get uncomfortable are the people that are afraid to be in God's presence. I want to tell you, when you're living right and you love the Lord and your heart is right, you can't get close enough to God. But if you're not right with God, if you've got sin in your life, if you're holding on to things you shouldn't be doing, if you're persisting in disobedience, the last thing you want is for the presence of God to come down. Because you can't stay comfortable in your sin when the Holy Holy Ghost shows up. He convicts, he draws, he corrects, he moves, he does something, he gets a hold of you, and it changes you. And some people don't want to change, so they want God to stay in the choir loft. Mm. Lord, help us. My final point, it was both edifying and evangelistic. Why do we come and engage in spirit-filled worship? Two reasons. Number one, it builds us up. And number two, it lifts Jesus up. <laughs> it's edifying. Say it, it's edifying. It builds us up. Why did Paul and Silas sing? Did they know God was going to show up and shake the prison? I doubt it. They didn't know that was going to happen. Why were they singing? They were encouraging one another. They'd been through a rough patch, and they decided they could sit and pout, or they could sit and praise. 
They could focus on the negative or they could focus on the positive. They could focus on their circumstances around them or they could focus on their Savior who reigned over them and they chose the latter and they began to pray and sing and encourage one another. When we sing, we don't just speak to God, we speak to each other. Ephesians 5.19 says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Amen. I could sing to the Lord at the house by myself, but sometimes down I need to come to church and hear somebody else sing and I need their words to encourage me sometimes we have to light our fire off somebody else's kindling wood amen sometimes we're down and we have to come into the house of God and allow someone else to encourage us in the Lord that's why we show up that's why we don't miss church that's why the day you don't feel like coming is the day you need to come the most Because you need God to speak. You need the Spirit of God to kindle your fire and keep your light burning. It strengthened Paul and Silas. Sometimes we need the help. I need somebody to help me pray. Help me stand and believe God. But it was evangelistic. Say evangelistic. This verse 25 says, They sang hymns to God, but the last part of the verse says, And the prisoners were listening. Say that with me. And the prisoners were listening. The thing I love about spirit-filled worship is when people that don't know God show up, they're listening. They're listening. And when God's presence moves, they cannot deny that God is in the midst of his people. I want to tell you tonight, listen to me this morning, it was not not excellent preaching that drew me to Jesus, and it was not excellent preaching that drew me to to, to the spirit-filled life, to Pentecost. What drew me was simply this. As a young man, I could not deny the reality of the presence and the power of God that moved in the service when spirit-filled people began to praise and worship God. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the preaching. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit that came down in response to their worship of God. The Bible says Paul and Silas began to pray and sing. And the Spirit of God began to move and shook that building. And then the prisoners were listening. I want to tell you the Bible tells us that one guy was really listening. Hear me today. The jailer, verse 27 says, And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, thought the prisoners had fled, drew his own sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul said with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Amen. I love that. Nobody chases an ice truck, but everybody looks where the fire truck is going. Amen? They sensed and knew that something was happening in that building. They knew that God's presence was there, and they knew it was tied to the Jesus that Paul and Silas were praying to and singing about. They knew it. They knew it was. And I want to tell you, I love this. The Bible says, verse 27, and the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep. Say he woke up. Whenever the presence of God and the Spirit of God begin to move in a Spirit-filled service, let me tell you what happens. Sinners start listening, and those who were asleep wake up. Some of you are here today, and you may not know beans about church. This may be new to you. You may think we're all crazy for the way we dance around in the choir, and we turn around. Well, if you let Jesus turn you around, you'll turn too. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Well, I don't know if I believe in all that. Well, you believed in it before you got saved. Amen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Lord knows. Amen. I didn't quit dancing. I just changed partners. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm. Yes. I didn't quit drinking. I changed fountains. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Some of us today need to understand the very best thing we could do to help lost people around us is to get so brimful of the Holy Ghost that we can't stand it and then leave this place and spill over on everybody that we meet. That used to work. It still works. 
When people look at you and say, how can you be singing when all hell is broken loose in your life? How can you be praying and worshiping God when I know what you're going through? You're in the same situation I'm in. Your back is bleeding like mine. Your feet are bound just like mine. You're in stocks like I am. How can you have joy? How can you have peace? How can you be worshiping God? And you could look at them and say, if you had the spirit I had, you'd be singing too. If you knew the same you'd be worshiping also hallelujah but whenever we begin to worship and God begins to move I want to tell you people start listening people start watching they start observing and those who are asleep in sin wake up it's time for the kind of move of God that wakes up the sleepy jailers in the house of God You see, I don't want to be part of a church where sinners can come and sit comfortable. I don't want to be part of a church where people can slide in and and, and not be affected by the presence of God. I want to be part of a church where the presence of God is so strong and the Spirit of God moves in power and people who are not right with God cannot stay in their pew because the presence of God moves and burns with such power. Amen. Well, I'd get, I'd, you know what? I'd worship if my son would get saved. If you would worship and let the presence of God move in your life, go home and let your son get a hold of that. Lay your hand on him when you're full of the Holy Ghost and pray for him and see what begins to happen. Well, you know, I'd, I'd praise God if my situation would turn around. If you'd pray, the situation might turn around. Amen? Amen. Like Paul and Silas, praise him on credit. Praise him by faith. Praise him because he's worthy. Praise him because he's able. Praise him till he shows up and shakes you free. Stir up your own chocolate milk. Stand with me all over the house of God today. I want to ask you today. The best thing that could happen for us and the best thing that could happen for the people around us that don't know God is for our church to be a spirit-filled church and for each of us to be overflowing, spirit-filled Christians who get filled up and go out and spill out all over the world around us. Amen. Can that happen? You better believe it can. You know how I was filled with the Holy Spirit? A man came to my house selling insurance. Selling insurance. He walked in. He was a spirit-filled Christian. We talked about the Lord, but when he talked about the Lord, he talked about him like he knew him. He talked about him like he was his friend. He talked about him and tears would fill up in his eyes. He talked about him and he had a smile on his face. He talked about forgiveness. I talked about forgiveness like it was a fact. He talked about forgiveness like a $10,000 debt had been paid in his behalf. gotten over it. I talked about the Holy Spirit like a gift that God said he would send. He talked about the Holy Spirit like someone who walked with him and whispered to him and led him and guided him and directed him. And I looked at him and in the first five minutes I said, there is a qualitative difference between your experience with God and my experience with God. And I wrote a note, 12 years old, I wrote a note on a piece of paper and said, you have something I am looking for. Please pray for me. I folded the note, I stuck it in his shirt pocket and that insurance salesman, left my house. Modern Woodman Insurance salesman named Bill Chapman left my house. A week later, he called my daddy and said, we're having a revival at our church and I think your boy would like to come. I walked in the back door and my God, they were singing and they were worshiping and they were singing. They'll be shouting on the hills of glory and they were, they were worshiping God and the pre- God wasn't up in heaven. God room. I felt him and I knew it and he was present and something drew my heart and I said I don't know when I'll get back around these people but I'm not leaving until I get whatever they've got. And I went to an altar that night and I said you're no respecter of persons and whatever these people have that I don't have. I was saved and I knew I was saved but I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. And I said Lord I want you to do for me what you did for them and I'm not leaving until you do. And I began to beg God to fill me up. That insurance salesman met me in the altar and said, stand up, raise both of your hands. He said, if, he said, before you took a glass of water that I offered you, what would you say? I said, I'd say thank you. He said, quit begging him and start thanking him. He wants to give you this gift more than you want to receive this gift. 
And I lifted my hands. I said, hallelujah, glory. And all of a sudden, I felt something. I felt something. And I began to see down the line of people praying. People were beginning to move under the power. And put strange things were happening. And that one went down. And that one started praying in tongues. And that one felt the presence. And I thought, oh, Lord, I'm next. I'm the next one in line. And all of a sudden, I tell you, when God got to me, he laid his hand on me. I felt like I'd grabbed hold of a 220-volt line. I couldn't let go, and it wouldn't let go. I shook and I shouted, and it took three men to keep me up off the floor because they didn't believe in falling out in their church. I ain't going to hurt my back. You'll fall out in this church, okay? Amen. We got some catchers to help you, but you, I, you're doing that. About two minutes later, I heard somebody praying in a heavenly language and said, who in the world is that? And realized it was me. Listen to me. I wasn't persuaded into this by some slick preacher. I didn't come into this because somebody talked me into it. I came into this the way Paul and Silas described in this book today. I walked into a room where some people were so full of the Holy Ghost and they began to worship their Savior and His presence began to fill up the room and he began to move and he began to sweep in and my young heart was touched and I said my God I've got to have you I want you you're more satisfying than anything in this world I made it through high school without getting caught off in sexual immorality I made it through high school without drinking a drop I made it through high school without smoking or shooting up or having a pill why? I didn't need a pill I could go to a Pentecostal church I could get in I could press my way in and God would fill me up with the Holy Ghost and I'd feel higher than you've ever felt on anything you've ever taken. And it sustained me and strengthened me and helped me and gave me power and strength, the ability to make it through. And I want to tell you what you need to make it through today is you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And what we need to be effective in convincing the world around us that Jesus is real is we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It'll make us powerful over the enemy and it'll make us effective in our witness today. I'm not telling you some doctrine I learned in seminary. I'm telling you the reality that this book points to and I'm telling you my own testimony. The presence of God will make the difference in people's lives. Amen? If you're here today and you need to be filled for the first time or you need to be refilled this morning, I want to invite you to come while we worship. If you've got reservations at Felix's, they will give your table away. And if you need to go, I understand. But we're going to take a moment. And if you want to pray, we're going to pray. And we're going to believe God to fill and rekindle you in the Holy Ghost today. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, for everyone in the sound of my voice that just needs today, that says, Lord, I need what he's preached about. I need the fullness of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. I need to be renewed in the Spirit. I need you to break me today and move in me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, come and have your way. Have your way in this house. Come and stir your people, oh God. Come and shake your people today, God. Come and move among us today, Lord. We believe you to do it today, God. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. This altar's open. You come right now. As Chad sings, you come right now. Let God fill you with the Holy Spirit. Let Him renew you in the Holy Spirit. Let Him give you a song in your heart. Let Him give you power to make it through life. Come and believe God to do that today. You come and believe God. The altar's open right now. Come on. Prayer team, you come help me pray. Y'all come and pray with me today. Let's believe God today. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.